Welcome back to the Make It Count Podcast. I'm Marcus Muir, founder of Muir Group CPAs and the Total Control Accounting System. I'm Tyler Warner, small business owner with a lot of accounting questions. All right, Tyler. You know, I always say this, but I love when we have a guest because it's we get a little more banter, yeah. less you and me. It's Actually, somebody who knows what they're talking about. Uh, so today we got Brandon Latoulier, who is a partner at Nooner Pate, law firm here in Lafayette. Brandon, give us a little bit of your background. And, and first, thank you for coming. Appreciate it. Sure. I'm glad to be here. Um, my name is Brandon Latoulier. I am a partner at Nooner Pate. I went to undergrad at UL Lafayette. Uh, before that, went to Northside High School, graduate 95. There you go. Run and tell your mom about that. That's kind of <laughs> how we usually say it. And then I uh, you know, went to LSU Law and been practicing at Nooner Pate since for about 20 years now. Okay. Now, what kind of things are you doing at Nooner Pate? Just a little dive a little deeper into that. So I do a lot of commercial stuff, uh, but mostly transactional and general business advice. I do still do some um, some litigation. I have a lot of folks in our um, firm who do a ton of litigation, um, but we have a good little transactional general business advice group, and I kind of head that up over there. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's what we're looking for today is some general business advice. Right. So I mean, um, we're going to presume you and I don't, we don't know anything. Which we're is let, fairly yeah, accurate. Which is like probably good. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to be talking about LLCs and probably more specifically like operating agreements. We've talked a little bit about how to structure an LLC, not how to structure it actually. Right. That's what we're going to talk about today probably. But the fact that you need an LLC, what the different classes of those are. Um, and you've probably in every one of those episodes heard Marcus say, I'm not an attorney. So, <laughs> so but we today that. we've got an attorney. And so, yeah, we want to hear about what we need to know when we set up an LLC, specifically with partners and things like that, and what kind of, you know, operating agreements we need and, you know, what we, what we want to know what we don't know. Yeah. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So what can you give us? So I guess where we could start with is kind of, I know people form LLCs and there's lots of myths around them, what they can do, what they can't do. Kind of just maybe describe what you see, kind of the benefits of an LLC and then where you kind of take your clients when they form that, where they go with it. Okay. So as a very, very general overview, you know, traditionally we had corporations and uh, corporations, you know, had their drawbacks, um, some double taxation, which they solve with some uh, subchapter S, as y'all probably know. Um, And then also it was was a little bit inflexible. It was a very specific, pretty rigid um, type of 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 a structure where you have shareholders who elect board of directors who elect the officers and that sort of thing. And especially when you talk about closely held companies, you know, that that level of formality usually doesn't exist. So one of the big benefits of the LLC form, um, one of the reasons why it was it was um, um, drafted is to to basically um, provide a more flexible vehicle, um, both for primarily, I would say, for uh, for internal governance. You know, so you go in with partners, you know, if it's just if it's just you and I and we're in a, you know, in a partnership together and we want to form a company, you know, who wants to have annual meetings every every right. year, special meetings and all those sort certain things, you know, let, let's do an LLC. And so, I mean, 90 something percent of everyone who forms a new company forms an LLC because you can pretty much do as whatever you want with it. Gotcha. Now, one thing I thought was interesting, we, you know, we'll get We'll go into some details, but you and I were talking yesterday, which I don't think a lot of people realize is when they form LLCs, LLC owners are called members, right? Right. And and what you said to me was interesting. I want you to talk a little bit about this was the voting structure of an LLC. And I think like if you and I, let's just say 
this happens a lot of times, right? You want to, you have an idea, maybe I'm the money guy or vice versa. And there's a LLC, maybe that's not 50 50. So maybe you own two thirds and I own a third. Kind of talk to what you see as far as or what happens in the, in the voting of that absent operating agreements and, and, and kind of in that whole realm. Okay. So let's talk about voting a little bit. I think before we get there, I'm just going to lay a little bit of groundwork. Yep. Once you've formed your LLC, you have already um, basically done the articles. And when you do the articles, you have to pick whether you're going to be a member-managed company or a manager-managed company. And that's a pretty big difference, okay? And so I just want to talk about that very, very briefly. But if you're a manager-managed company, that means that any one of the managers is like the president and CEO can go out and transact business on behalf of that entity every day of the week, pretty much. And you think of it, you know, that way. Um, you can have some some um, parameters on that in an operating agreement, and you can specify that in an articles. But I want everyone to know that if you're past the article stage, you have probably picked your poison at that time. You can always change it, but manager managed each member, I'm sorry, member managed, each member can go out and transact business. If it's manager managed, the members elect the managers and the managers are the ones who go out and do the business. So I think okay. that that's just something that no, maybe good. not everybody, you know, is really keenly aware. Where, where's the rub of that? Meaning like, is it like setting up a bank account or, I mean, where would that matter? I mean, when you say going out and do business, what are you talking about? Buying so, things, selling things? Everything, yes. Buying things, selling things. So think about it this way. You, you used a, um, a good example. Let's say you had a, what I'm going to call a silent sweat equity. I mean, a silent sort of money kind of partner. Right. Then you have more of the operations kind of guy. Yep. Maybe he's a very sweat common. equity guy or something like Very common. You know, it, it may be that um, the, the parties want to structure to where um, – it may be that the money guy is a heavy. He's he's seventy five percent in it, but I mean he's not going to do the day to day stuff. So maybe that's going to be a manager managed, and he wants to put his um, you know his his partner in as the manager, but he can remove him if he needs to because he would have control. And that's where the voting comes. Okay, in. yeah. So if you want to talk about yeah, that no. a little bit, we're going to segue to that. Well, let's. You no, know, you kind of got me. I'm the one jumping the gun here because I love you said like kind of laying the groundwork there. When you're forming an LLC and you're determining, one of the things that I, I think I remember is you don't have to be a member to be a manager, right? That's correct. So I, you and I could form an LLC and we're operating, but we want Tyler to transact on, beh- on behalf of us and we could do that? Yes. And so that would be like when you, when you say doing business, that's getting into contracts, just everything that relates to what binding the company. Like yes. what, what does that look like when you say in transacting business? Give it a little so more think, on that. Think about president and CEO or something like that. Um, you know, you want to go open a bank account. You want to transact business. You want to sign contracts on of a vendor because you need to get some materials or services or something like that. And you want to just do the day to day business. You want to manage the company. That's almost HR, everything. Now, obviously, everyone can make positions underneath them and mm-hmm. delegate and those sorts of things, but the ultimate authority would would rest with the manager. Yeah. And the members are sort of like, kind of like stockholders. Now, there are some some you know nuances to that, but that's the very general overview. Yeah, but I'm trying to think of when I've encountered this. It's like when you open a bank account and they want to see your articles of, or, you know, something from the Secretary of State, and it says... Hey, I'm a manager or I'm a member. That's where you would, that's where that's documented, right? Yeah. So it'll be documented. So the initial uh, choosing 
of whether your manager, manager, member managed will be when you file the articles. And then the initial managers would be, if you were manager managed, would be specified in like what they used to call it. I don't know if they still call it the initial report. Okay. You know, yeah, so I remember you will that. basically. And so every year when you file your annual report, mm-hmm. you kind of just confirm, yeah, this is still the manager or no, we've changed. And obviously if you've changed in the middle of the year, you really need to go in um, and change that in the secretary of state. I have a question um, because this happens all the time with clients. Like, again, we don't practice law, but we see all the time, just because we're looking up stuff for our clients, the status of their annual report online. Mm-hmm. So like, with, you know, Louisiana, you can go search on the secretary of state. Well, any any state really. And you can see whether they're in good standing or not. And that's usually a lot of you laughing because you probably get clients that do the same thing as me. You'll see they're not in good standing. Right. Okay. I'm and never I'll, in good standing. You're, no, you're never. I always think, that, <laughs> I always literally, we have it in our project management system. Um uh, one of the fields is what's what's the what's the month of the year their annual report becomes, and we just send them an email. Hey, you probably already heard this, but you know you need to file your annual report. But I'm in the background going, okay, but what does that really mean when somebody's not in good standing? Is that even relevant, or is that something that? When you talk about it, but in specifically in the context of an LLC, so you know there's an annual requirement that you find that you file the annual report. It really doesn't cost that much, and um, you know I'll, let me say this too with GoBiz, which is the new online Louisiana yeah. um, portal. Um, they'll usually send you if your account is affiliated with your company. They'll send you an annual, you know, heads up, and sometimes they'll send a little bit ahead or whatever. So you should get like a little tickler mm-hmm. or something. They send you text messages now. I get the text messages. You can sign up for yeah. text messages, and there's some yeah. other stuff associated mm-hmm. with that. If you really want to know, I mean, so first of all, if someone's, I would say this. If someone's not in good standing, I think people kind of frown upon it. Like, oh, are they really kind of just up to snuff? Just from a business standpoint, just from the outside looking oh, in. Yeah. Like a legitimacy not, kind of thing? Le- legit, well, not a legitimacy. Just look, if, if they're not filing their annual reports, you know, um, oh. are they really just not, you know, good stewards of their business and gotcha. that sort of a thing? So you could, they would have that. Well, but they, to answer your there's question, There's a reason though, they frame it that way. <laughs> like, it's not oh, just like, feel, yeah, it's, yeah, I'm feeling attacked. Yeah. yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> The fact that they say not good standing, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm like, what grounds? Yeah, you it's know? a little shame, a little shaming. So, so, so I pay my thirty five dollars, and then now I'm in good standing. Yeah, like, yeah, you know. So yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a little money grab. Okay, I'm sure, but yeah. it's also to make sure that folks are um, thinking about those things and holding themselves out. So when you have someone as a manager, okay, and they're on the Louisiana Secretary of, of State's website, um, you know, everyone who does business with you, like they're going to assume that that person is cloaked with authority to do business on your behalf. And if you had some sort of falling out, someone walked out or whatever the issue is, you know, if they're still on the Secretary of State's website, then, you know, there could be some issues with that, uh, with people relying, you're allowing them to to hold themselves out Mm -hmm. as a manager. But let me also say this, you want to know like the real deal about what... If you do that, if you don't file your annual reports within three years, they're going to start. Re- they're going to revoke your charter, okay. and that starts to have real legal pr- repercussions. Gotcha. Okay? And there's only a certain amount of time um, that you can go and try to basically put Humpty Dumpty back together and, and get back into it. Like, yeah. When I say revoke your charter, you know, whenever you go and you file uh, for an LLC, you're forming a company, a juridical entity. Um, and that exists separately from from you. Yep. Um, if they start revoking that, then all of those things that you filed for, which is you know having some limited liability and protecting yourself, and starts to 
to crumble. Um, you can go in and, and have that, um, like I said, reinstated after mm -hmm. a certain time, yeah. uh, within a certain time period. Yeah. Okay. So that's the real deal. So yeah. you're right though. I mean, look, if you get on the secretary of state's website right now, you're going to see a ton of folks oh, who yeah. are not in good standing. Mm -hmm. And I only said that because, you know, every time that we go close a deal, like if I'm my clients buying a company or something like that, um, a little certificate of good standing is often uh, a closing uh, condition yeah. uh, to present Oh, wow. That. Okay. And, um, yeah, that's the so only time I ever have is when I've had to open up a new bank account or I've had to, you know, yeah. in getting, you know, they lend you money. It's like, hey, you're not in good standing. It's I've like, seen that right, before. whatever, 35 bucks, we're back in business. But sometimes if you're late enough, I think it's even more than that. But anyway, I think the yeah. point here is that, like, it's a diligence thing. It makes, sure. your, it makes your company look like, look, they're kind of dotting their I's and crossing their T's. Yeah. But it can obviously have some, some legal effect if you're yeah. Really, short just answer, totally pay the thirty five dollars. Yeah, file your dang annual report. Yeah. Get, yeah. get the text messages. I think it would be the text. <laughs> it reminds me, but I will say this: they don't tell you what company. So I'm, I'm like on a bunch of LLCs, and it's like, okay, I just know there's. I just go to the Go Biz, and it's like, yeah. oh, this one. Yeah. You know, right. it's October. It's this company. You yeah. Know? Well, and, and also in business, you know, or even your personal affairs, you know, you might do a will or something like that, and you're like, oh, I don't have to revisit that for fifteen years. When you're talking about your business, that's your day to day life and blood and that's what feeds the family yeah. you know that's kind of important so it's kind of a tickler to just to remind yourself like hey look you know or have there been any changes for the uh single member llc's out there you're probably not so worried because it's just yeah. you and that yeah. sort of thing but when you start having partners or you start getting a little bit more complicated i think it matters a little bit more yeah that's to good. mind the store right gotcha that makes sense yeah um okay so we were kind of leading into it i interrupted you voting kind of give us a little bit on llc voting you, you like i said you gave me some kind of interesting information that i didn't know yeah so um louisiana's act is very much like uh, other other states acts and um voting is presumed and defaulted to be uh, by head, you know, meaning one person one vote no matter what so if we get into business together and you're 25% and I'm 75%, you know, our common thought probably, and maybe I'm, I'm wrong on this, would be, hey, man, you're the controlling owner, right? Because you have 75%. Uh, no, not under the default rules. The default rules say you get a vote equal to mine. And that is not a lot. That's not usually people's intentions. And that is one of the reasons to have a written operating agreement is to specify that no voting won't be by one one person, uh, one vote. It's going to be by the percentage of your membership interest. So if I have 75%, I get to vote 75%. Kind of like the old stock days, right? Yeah. If you had 75% of the stock, you represented 75% of the shareholders. So that's usually the intent. That's kind of a big one. And every once in a while, we'll have somebody walk in our office and, hey, I've been in business with these people. We're kind of getting a business divorce, you know, from mm -hmm. my partner. And, you know, sometimes it inures to my client's benefit and sometimes I don't. Do you have an operating agreement? No. Oof. Okay, well... How have things been handled in the past? And it just gets really, really muddy. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Um, and if you're sitting there with the client, I'm talking from a lawyer standpoint, but if you're yeah. sitting there with the 75% and you think that you have 75% voting rights, but you don't have an operating agreement saying you do, you have a problem. Oh, yeah. so this is, I mean, I, I'm going to ask a dumb question. When let's just say we had we were three members in an LLC, me and Tyler are, let's just say, 30% each and you're 40 so in that using that logic, if we don't default, well, let me let me back up. If we if we if we don't do the default and we specify by percentage, he and I could always outvote you, right? Because yes. the, the thirty and thirty simply add together. Yep. We represent sixty percent of the company in that example. Absent that kind of understanding in an operating agreement, we're all in the same boat, a third, a third, a third. 
That's right. And yeah. in that instance, it may not matter that much because both of you can still outvote me. That's it's true. One in one can still outvote me, and my 40 plus 30 can still outvote him and so right. on and so forth. So in that instance, it may not make a difference, but in a lot of instances, it does. And gotcha. I, the, the, the scenario we see it a lot is mostly in just two-person uh, LLCs. Can I ask a question, too, about what – the, is there any default voting things or is there like all of that specified, the governance specified in the operating agreement? So Meaning like what are people voting on? So, um, and what do you recommend? Okay. So if you're, yes, if you do not have an operating agreement, then Louisiana law will fill in your operating agreement for you with default statutes. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's, yeah, that's right. really good to know. And so um, there will be some either supermajority or unanimous consents or something um, on the default rules. I will tell you that I don't deal much in the default rules because I usually draft them and make the rules. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> And sure. we make them however our clients, you know, want to be. But for example, um, the things that I would typically put well, let, let me rewind it just a little bit. If it's a member, ma- I'm sorry, manager managed company, then obviously the members are going to vote in the managers. And that vote is typically just 51%. Okay. But I mean, if you're 50 50 in something and you go into it and um, it's 51% to remove a manager and you put a manager in place, um, then you're kind of stuck with that manager and you can't remove that manager unless you get both votes. So it's almost like a unanimous consent because 51% turns into effectively a unanimous vote if it's just two people. Right. Okay. So there's a lot of little, you know, uh, little issues with that. Um, But another, a common thing that we would put in an operating agreement that would require more than 51% um, majority vote would be something like, hey, if the company wants to um, go and buy immovable property, real estate. You know, that's a big transaction. Sometimes we'll even put stuff that says, look, if the company wants to enter into a transaction that would exceed $100,000 of debt on the company or something like that, yeah. mm-hmm. we would we would put something in there and put some parameters on there so that that way either the manager can't just, if you want to try to tie the hands of the manager a little bit, okay, you're my day-to-day guy, but I don't want you to go out and, yeah. you know, yeah. and enter into... We don't want you to buy an office. Yeah, we don't you want you to buy an office, office or something like that. Yeah. Right. So you'll, you can... You can put that in, and that's what's good about the LLC form is that it's flexible. But you can only use this flexibility if you use the operating agreement. You put that down, you write it down, and you both sign it. Yeah. So, true. and then the other one would be like, hey, if I want to dissolve the company, you usually don't want to just a plain Jane fifty-one percent vote on that. That's a big deal issue. So, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. you walk into your partners and say, right. "Sorry, uh, we we no longer exist." Yeah, another exactly. one would be if you want to sell substantially all of the assets, which would be like a, a sale of a company, which mm-hmm. is the typical way that a lot of folks yeah. uh, sell companies and assets sale. So, you know, the big picture, like those big decisions you want to have, yeah. um, either a super majority, 67% or something like that, or you would want to have uh, unanimous. It just depends on the makeup yeah. of the membership. Gotcha. So what are some common things, you know, we're kind of getting in and I'm, as you're saying this, I'm going so many people, like I think we even said it before, I'm sure there are people that are for the first time hearing Wait, what's an operating agreement? Like they have an LLC, they don't even know that exists. Maybe, <laughs> yeah. and maybe to their you know, their credit, they're a single member and it's not an issue. But when you start thinking along the terms of operating agreement, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, what I'm hearing is kind of a blank slate. I mean, you have default rules, but you can get together with the parties involved and say, we want to say how this company is going to be run, how things are going to go down, what happens if 
you die or get you know mentally impaired like is that is that kind of where it's going with the operating agreement is that you really do have a blank slate to kind of say what happens going forward that's yes exactly right you have okay. a blank slate let's let's rewind a little bit and let's kind of define what the operating agreement is and okay. what functions it serves because it serves several functions a big function it serves is governance which would be like the equivalent of a bylaw so if you mm. if you open up a corporation you have a bylaws who votes on what we kind of hit on that yep. pretty heavily just now okay um, one thing Thing that it 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 um, does that uh, you don't have in a corporation. In a corporation, you'd have stock, you have stock ledger sheets, and you, that's how you know who owns what. Okay, yeah. but in an LLC, um, the operating agreement is who defines who owns what. That's what defines yeah. that. So, you know. In a, if we had a stock situation, you just say, oh, I have 25 shares, you have 75 shares, therefore we're 25, 75, and that's how you tell it. The operating agreement is sort of the one-stop shop to go and say who owns what percentage-wise. So you definitely want to have an operating agreement just, to, just so that y'all have it on paper and everyone's clear on it that, um, you know, who owns what. Now, hmm. I've... we've had to come in where people have told you this. Yeah. People come in, there's no operating agreement. Um, and we're saying, okay, we, I'm, I'm 75 and he's 25. Okay, great. Um, where's the operating agreement says, well, I don't have that, but I do have tax returns. And look, if you have like a, a line of tax returns that's been prepared on behalf of the company and yeah. all personal, and it's been 25, 75 the whole time, then I don't think anybody's going to, you know, throw you out. Okay. But then of course, then the voting stuff comes in, right? Well, that doesn't yeah. mean that just because you file your tax return to 75, 25 doesn't mean you have that voting. And so you have that voting part of it. Mm -hmm. So it serves these functions of both, you know, governance, um, and it serves those functions of um, um, basically defining who owns what mm -hmm. and then who votes what. And then I'll also say this, um, in, a, in a corporation, you would have another document sometimes called um, a shareholders agreement that's kind of outside the bylaws. And that's where people would do things to try to become more flexible. These bylaws were usually kind of archaic, you know, the shareholders meet every year and and vote in the board. The board votes in the officers, et cetera, et cetera. And there's a lot of formality with that. Um, and if there was some kind of a deal to be made between a closely held company to put it into a shareholder agreement, well, the bylaws do that too. So if you want to say, hey, look, you know, if you achieve the age of 65 or whatever it might be, I want to have the right to buy you out at fair market value, you put that in the operating agreement. Mm. Okay. So, and, and that's something else, I guess, that I think we may have touched on when we we're talking about, uh, you know, kind of preparing for this is, um, this is something that no one likes to to hear, but when they come to me and they, my clients, and they want to uh, get, get together and, you know, get an operating agreement, they're all gung ho. And, you know, it, it's, they just got married, right? Yeah. Right. They mm -hmm. just got married. Everything's good and stuff. Right. But, you know, guys, I, I hate to say, but it's, nothing's forever. Right. Mm -hmm. So. Nothing's forever, and you know that's a sad thing to say, but the yeah. likelihood that you're going to stay in business with someone absolutely forever and it's never going to change and everything is, is a little bit different. So having a little bit of corporate su succession planning or mm -hmm. LLC succession planning and thinking about those things, yeah. um, that really matters, uh, I think. And so you can have things like, hey, look, you know, what's going to happen? You're, you know, you're approaching the end of your career. How do you... Um, how do you see yourself exiting? Do you want some uh, gentle 
divestiture over a period of time? Um, what do you want to do? And how do you define that? What would the buyout be? And you can you can define all of those things. Now, sometimes that that gets people to be a little bit, you know, they freeze up and they're like, man, I don't know. There's not a lot. Yeah. And I realize you don't have a crystal ball, mm-hmm. but uh, but that's something that is 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 pretty significant. And um, I know I'm talking a lot here, but I guess I should go into a lot of those sorts of uh, of life events yeah. that could change things. So starting with, you know, talking about the different like life events, you have, um, you know, divorce, you know, so oftentimes we have spouses that'll sign off on it just saying, look, you know, if there's a, in the event of a divorce, you might have a community interest in this. Um, these are the provisions where, you know, you're agreeing that if you're going to, um, get a divorce, then someone has the right, either the company or oftentimes the member, and then the company has a right to buy out that interest for a certain specified amount, fair market value, book value, something like that. You have events of death, you know, um, disability. Um, you have um, a bankruptcy, perhaps, um, of someone, one of the members, and uh, that can obviously, you know, be a, be a big deal. So there's a lot of those kinds of events. I've had also, I, I should mention this too, this is a big one. A lot of people don't understand this or don't realize this. And it, I think it's a pretty good default rule. Um, and it's, some, it's one of the default rules that's very uh, much carried out in most operating agreements. And that is if you guys are in business together, and let's say y'all are 50-50, um, you know, you kind of got in business together because y'all are both of the same profession, you know each other, right? And you trust each other and y'all both may have voting rights, okay? But if you pass away and that interest either goes to your wife or kids or, or some other heirs or legatees, you don't necessarily, no offense, want to be right. in business with someone like that. So what the LLC rules typically say, uh, both default and in the in the operating agreement, is that, look, they'll become what we call transferees. They're kind of assignees. They're not, they don't have voting rights. They become passive investors. But even in that situation, they, no offense, again, are yeah. not contributing to the ongoing uh, success of the business, yeah. especially in a services-related business like you guys. Um you know, that's where the value is. The value mm-hmm. is in the ongoing services and face of the company and goodwill and those sorts of things. Yeah. So you kind of may want a little opportunity to buy them out. Um, that way it makes your family whole um, and it allows you to move on with someone else who might have some expertise or perhaps by yourself. Yeah. yeah. And so in the operating agreement, it's going to always generally kind of the concept of you get the right to rules. It's going to say how things go down in terms of, well, it might be two times book value, or it might be an average of three year sales and two years of EBITDA. Like you get to essentially say those things, right? Upon the uh, death or divorce, you get to say how it goes down in terms of like how I do buy you out. Is that right? Yep. And I've even written some to where, you know, you could say, look, if, um, you know, if it is this much, you know, then here's the the purchase yeah. price or something like that. There's all sorts of ways. It's whatever you want, you can put in there. I, I would add this too. You know, I've had some other clients come in, and let's say that it is it's, it's two folks, but um, let's say that it's a, a I'm trying to think of a, of a good example. Um, let's say it's a roofing company, okay, and let's say that one of the owners has a son who has been working in the business all his life. You know, and he wants to become the heir, you know, to his father. Um, but the other uh, partner just, I mean, never saw a hammer or a nail, never picked one up or anything like that. You know, I've had instances where folks say, well, look, I want to allow this 
the son of the father who um, who really wants to be part of the business, I'm going to automatically allow him to become a member of the business. And maybe the father, his father would not have gone into business with me unless I agree to that. Mm-hmm. So you could do different rules for different you know, members because they're just differently situated. Okay. You know, does that make any sense? Yeah. To you well, guys? It's, well, it's getting back to the point of, which is what I'm trying to understand and really drive home is that you get to do what you want as long as the parties agree to it. Right. I mean, as I mean, long it's as legal, right? As long as you have an operating yeah, agreement. <laughs> that's my point. Yeah. But in the, in the context of an operating yeah. agreement, you get to say how yeah. things will go down. It's like, your own little country with its own little rules. I love it. So you yeah. can, I, I, yeah. I never even thought about that, but that's interesting. We could say, you know, Tyler's, well, he doesn't have a son, but Tyler's son yeah. can be a partner, but mine can't. I mean, right. that literally, you could explicitly say something like that. Yep. Yeah. That's interesting. Okay. I want to, I want to, and I'm going to say this, I always think it's going to be short, but I'm never going to be short. I want to kind of ask about, because people have all these misconceptions about LLCs. From a tax perspective, I'll just give you a you know, high-level view. People come to me and say, I have an LLC, therefore I get to, to, to deduct everything. And we always say, no, that's not the case. You could deduct things if you're if they are legitimate business expenses, even if it's you doing business, right? So we kind of dispel all those myths. But one of the things that always comes up, and we, and I'll then say, well, listen, you may not get more deductions because you're an LLC, but it'll protect you. Asset protection. Generally speaking, I know you're going to be like, well, that's, that's not a two second quote. That's not a two minute question. But generally speaking, is that when you form an LLC, is that what, what, what people are going for, especially on the single member side? Is that what it affords them when it's just them operating by themselves? Is that the biggest benefit? Yes. Whether they're operating by themselves or not, they're looking for a limited liability. Right. So if you, um, if you have a, a little restaurant and you're the sole owner, little mom and pop restaurant, and you go and you get your, your insurance, your CGL coverage and stuff like that, you got a million dollars of CGL coverage, someone slips and falls, and for whatever reason, it's just a really bad case, and they're threatening some sort of excess judgment on top of that insurance, that LLC form is there to protect you from that liability. Yeah. You might be able to go after your company, but they're not to go after you personally. There are some exceptions yeah. to that, as you probably know. Right. Um, piercing the corporate fail, and there's five, four or five factors, and then there's something else called a single business enterprise, where if you have a bunch of affiliated companies, uh, I'll, I'll comment on that real quick. There was yeah. a, um, a case in law school that we studied out of New York, and uh, this guy had um, opened up an LLC for each one of his cabs and got the lowest amount of insurance, <laughs> you know, for yeah. each cab thinking he's smart and then gets in a wreck. And, you know, at some point the judge says, hey, look, you didn't make a good faith effort at this. And you're just, you're really just one single business enterprise. It's the same person. It's the same business. You're out the same garage. And then you really, though, if you boil it down, it was like they didn't make a good faith effort at the business, mm-hmm. um, at insuring the business, putting out a cab, Putting out twenty cabs, right? right? In New York City with the lowest amount of insurance yeah. is probably not the thing to do. So there's some, you know, under capitalization, under insurance, commingling. That's probably the biggest thing. If okay. you want to talk about I was gonna get you know, to that. um trying to preserve your your limited liability, the last thing you can do is just start completely commingling your personal funds with the business funds. And if you think of it from a practical perspective, someone sues you and wants to go after your company's account, if they can't tell what money is your company's versus yours, the court's going to let them go after both. Doesn't that make a little bit of practical sense yeah. to you? So if you're I saying can't, like if you're ba- buying 
car, personal cars or your house. It's just your personal piggy bank. If you're buying your groceries and paying your Netflix bill. Yeah, Yeah, no, there, as you know, there's, it's okay to do some personal borrowing and stuff like that due to, do from's account, accounts where you're, um, you're really keeping those books of those and and understanding those transactions. I think those are okay because you could at least know, okay, but but he still owes the company forty grand, right? Or whatever it is, right? Okay, well, you're keeping up with that. I'm talking about they're just living out of the thing, yeah. and you can't tell what's personal and what's not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really commingling their personal funds with that. Yeah. And um, I don't think that happens often, but I mean, I think you'd be surprised. Yeah. Well, I think I mean a lot of times we talk about things, and we're we're reading court cases from a tax perspective. And one of the things that always delegitimizes somebody' cases, books and records. Like they're trying to make a case like this is not a hobby. This is a real business. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things they point to, which is kind of goes along this, it's not the same thing, but they always point to, well, you didn't even keep a set of books. And kind of to your point about piercing the corporate veil, sounds like if you at least were commingling, but you had a record that, yeah, I might have, I, I did pay these personal expenses, but my books clearly say that my, I owe it back to my company. Again, kind of back to this. I have a legitimate set of books and I, I, I run the company diligently. Right. Kind of would maybe not, I'm not going to say shield you from that, but it would be a better in your case. To, yeah. To well, have, you shouldn't, I mean, there's so many right ways to yeah. pay yourself out of your business. Correct. That's the whole point of being in business for most people. Right. So it's not, a, I mean, yeah, I'll give you another good example. So, so yes, you're right. If you're really keeping up with things, I mean, I think just the segregation of the money and knowing what is the company's and what is not the company's is right. the biggest factor there. But here's another example. Uh, I was in a case. Um, my client was a subsidiary that was a parent company, and they were trying to pierce the corporate veil and go after the parent company. And one of the things they were arguing was, well, you share insurance, you know, so y'all are kind of like the same thing. You're kind of like a one big single business enterprise, but it's true that they shared insurance, but they got one policy to to cover both of them, and then through a management agreement, they um, build out proportionately in accordance with the annual revenue um, the premium for that insurance to the parent, and then that to the oh, subsidiary. Wow. Okay. So I argue to the judge, judge, yeah, okay, so what? We we shared insurance, but we recorded how much who who paid for what, okay, and it was cheaper. For the subsidiary to do that, which preserved more money in the subsidiary, which is what the plaintiff is looking for, is to go after money in the subsidiary. Oh, wow. And therefore, you should not hold that this is some sort of a, a veil-piercing um, incident. Yeah. So, and let you lay strikes again. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> Latoulier. Latoulier. Sorry. Oh, it's okay. Yeah, I messed okay. that up. That's all right. Yeah, you won your so, I know, man. So, I, mean, I went but for a lot it so these... hard, too. <laughs> <laughs> so, a, a lot of these things, you know, they come up in so many different scenarios, yeah. you know. But I I think the idea is, look, if you just keep your books honest and try to keep your personal stuff away, and look, if you need a little personal loan from your company, okay, record it, you know, I think yeah. that you'll be okay with it. Um, it's the big picture stuff, you know. Yeah. It's having, you know, camps and, yeah. <laughs> and Maseratis yeah. and well, I don't one know. Thing you, one thing you mentioned, which I thought was very interesting, was kind of the what you were getting at was like arm's length. Like yeah. we, we as the subsidiary in your case, yeah, we're using your insurance, but we're at arm's length paying you back a market value or some established way to determine our usage of that. That's and right. I think that's a good point for people to leave with is just like kind of keep, get your act together, like have books, reconcile your bank account, keep accurate records of what you owe yourself, what you owe other companies, do it in such a way that makes common sense. Like I think when people get off track is where they, 
they take these big swings like you just mentioned the camp and the Maserati. Like say that out loud. It kind of sounds kind of silly, you know? Yeah. Well, look, let's do this. I have a question that might just kind of bring it back down to the next steps for some of the people that listen to this. And um and give us a lay of the land. Like what would be the good next steps and help help understand I'm I'm sure it's like most things, right? Marcus kind of talks about like you know, the more the more complicated or complex your business is, the more things you got to worry worried about with your books. But is there, um, you know, Marcus started by saying, well, I guess you could do anything. But is there some boilerplates that you'd recommend, or is that off the table? Where do what are the what's some practical next steps? What do you recommend for people who who need to dive into this and get get an operating agreement for all the reasons we just talked about? So, so that's a good question. I, I thought about um, when you first came to me a couple weeks ago, um, and I didn't follow up on this, but I wonder if the SBA might have some forms, you know, for people to start with. Uh, that's something that you might want to uh, consider. I can tell you that Louisiana especially is such a specific, you know, statute. We've adopted the Model Act, but we've made a lot of revisions to it. Um, and so... I hate to say it, but I mean, sometimes there is no substitute for an attorney. Now, it really depends. I mean, if you're in, uh, you know, in business with your wife and all you want to do is say we're she's 75 and I'm 25, then maybe you don't need an attorney. OK. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. So and I'm and I'm not the person to just try to push people towards that. But if you've got five people in a business, never had an operating agreement, you've been in business for 20 years and nothing's happened. I think that's where I would I would go is, look, if you've been operating and nothing's bad happened yet. OK. Um, then, you know, that's great. But some point, someone's going to pass away. Mm-hmm. Someone someone else is going to become involved or something like that. So I think that they, they probably need to go to an attorney. I'll tell you, if you want to know where I started, there's Louisiana practice forms. There's forms that we've been using. A lot of that's off of Westlaw. So it's very, you know, highly, uh, I guess, like a professional tool, yeah. you know, that we utilize. So I really don't know uh, where other people go, but I'd probably start with the SBA if you're looking for just something to start with. Yeah. But I mean, there's a little bit of landmines in here, as I've just said. We just touched on some of them. Yeah. And so, you know, at some point, there's no substitute for a professional, depending on your needs. Yeah. And I would say too, to your to your point, somebody that does this, right? You wouldn't yeah. want an attorney, and not to, again, kind of. We were talking about this earlier about doctors and accountant, people that specialize, you want an attorney that does, it's in the, I'm going to say business law or transactional law, somebody who's working with people on how companies operate, right? I mean, from a legal perspective, you want somebody versus somebody who normally doesn't operate in that, but they're an attorney. I would think it's probably a best practice. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that most people understand that, look, if you're a personal injury attorney, you're representing people, slip and falls, probably not going to know all the ins and outs of the operating. You don't need Gordon. You you might not want to get Gordon in that situation. Um, But but I would also say this, though. um, Yeah, you might not need that, um, but you also need someone with some experience, especially if you have some complications. I'm closing on a on a um, on a business purchase now where uh, my client's going into business with another guy, and um, they had some kind of complex stuff going on. And um, there's another good, great attorney on the other side, and we're working together to resolve some issues about they had in their head the way things should be. But man, to put that on paper and to make it to where any third party or a judge or somebody later on or a, a succession attorney is going to read that and say, yeah, that's you know, that's what, this is how it goes down. This is the rule. These are the rules and it's written clearly. I think that takes some experience. Um, And I think that also it takes some experience to kind of think outside the box. If you go to somebody who hasn't really engaged in that kind of, uh, 
that kind of process before, yeah. um, then it can be difficult. And, you know, with my job, that's the thing I like about it. Um, it's kind of challenging because you're trying to protect your client. Um, but at the same time, that client has a partner. Um, and they, and, you know, you got to be good to that partner. They're, they're, yeah. It's got to work for both people, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so you got to think about that. And, and putting that together in a good operating agreement can be a challenge sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Well, good deal. So when they need a professional, how do they how do they get in touch with you? And what's what's the what's the way to reach you? So yeah, so you can always email me. Um, I'm, we're online at noonerpate.com. It's n e u n e r p a t e dot com, and my name's Brandon Latulier, L e t u l i e r. And there are not many. <laughs> yeah. So and I can tell you, there's no other Latulier attorneys. So that's right. uh, here in Lafayette uh, at Nooner Pate. So Google that, and you'll find them immediately. Yeah, yep. that's right, Latulier. Got That's it. Right. Got it. Awesome, man. Thank you for coming on. It's yeah. been great. Really helpful. Yeah. I learned a ton. Yeah, same. And as always, you can check out more resources at mirror.group and reach out to the mirror group there as well. All right. See you next time. Later.